Hello! We would like to welcome you to another episode of Reading Across the Curriculum, a book talk series on our Changemaker Conversations in Education podcast channel of the Alberta Regional Professional Development Consortia, or ARPDC. I'm Rick Gilson, Executive Director of the Southern Alberta Regional Office of ARPDC, and my co-host in this series is Charlie Craig of the Learning Network Educational Services Office. I would like to welcome you all today. We're joined by Jackie Ratkovich, who is a outstanding math consultant. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to branch into the dark world of math and literacy and, uh, and really look forward to today's conversation. Just before we do, um, I want to acknowledge that I'm coming to you from Treaty 7 and Métis Zone 3, area here in Alberta. Charlie is in both Treaty 7 and Treaty 6 area in Red Deer, and Jackie is in Treaty 7. So these three treaties, we have a little bit, a little tiny portion of Treaty 4 down in the very southeast corner of Alberta. But we're spanning the entire region of Alberta, and thus the three treaty regions uh, today. And together we would like to acknowledge that we are blessed to share this land with those whose land it has been since time immemorial, and that we draw upon the wisdom of those who have walked the lands before us, and each of us in our own way um, enjoys reflecting upon the land and, and learning uh, from and with the elders that we have the blessing of interacting with. Charlie, over to you. Well, as Rick alluded to today, we welcome our friend and colleague, Jackie Rakovic. And I'm going to read her little bio. Um, I didn't let her know this ahead of time. So this is the awkward part of the podcast. You can't see her face, but she's cringing right now. Um, Making sense of the use and abuse of concrete materials, understanding the importance of visual spatial reasoning, for the development of number sense, problem solving skills, and learning to ask good questions are four areas that greatly intrigue Jackie in her work. Jackie currently works as an independent consultant and instructional coach to teams of teachers over the past 18 years in a number of districts across the province. Her work is focused on unpacking the Alberta Program of Studies in ways that honor and value its intent of a student-centered approach to learning, which allows each student to become capable and responsible for their own learning. Personally, I am so excited that Jackie is here. She's an amazing colleague um, to be part of the Learning Network team, and I've learned a number of things from her in the past uh, few years. So welcome, Jackie. Thank you. Good luck, friend. No, just kidding. It'll be it'll be easy. I promise. You know, I believe to, it. To start you out easy, we'll start out with you, Jackie. What are you currently reading, both professionally and uh, for entertainment, that you might want to share? Um, probably the one that I've been reading that right now is that uh, John San Giovanni has a math textbook that he's done some work for us for through ARPDC called. Uh, figuring out fluency, addition and subtraction. And I, I really enjoy that book because he talks about there only being five strategies for addition and subtraction. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about whole numbers, integers, fractions, decimals, 
all of those strategies are the same all the way through. And, and that's some of my work that I work with some schools is talking about, does everybody use the same strategies across the grade levels? Because sometimes, you know, um, you get a flood of information from Twitter and emails and says, hey, try this strategy, try this strategy. But those strategies don't have longevity going into uh, those higher, more detailed, uh, rational number kind of components. So that's kind of a piece that um, I notice and I really like about that book. And then what am I reading now? Oh, this is horrible, but I just read math stuff right now. I, I've, <laughs> I knew you guys were probably going to ask me that question. And uh, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, should I lie and say I'm reading something really great? And I, I can't even tell you everything that I read. I immerse myself into uh, math literature, how the brain works, how to build relationships. Um, I, you know, the other book that I would talk about, I've been doing a lot of work around the third path with uh, Dr. Tranter. And I, I tend to go back to that book quite a bit when I work with teachers. Um, there's eight strategies that go along with the book, but it, it's a relationship approach uh, towards education. And, and it, it's not only helped me work with teachers, it's also helped me work with students. It helps me pass that information on to teachers. But the other thing, it's just, it's a really good book about just being a good person. And, and what does that mean to help people feel safe? Um, how uh, resiliency, how to work with that, how to build upon that. So I guess the second set of book that's not really math related would be the third path that uh, I would definitely um, encourage anybody to take a look at. Thanks, Jackie. Okay, so why do you feel that math or numeracy, I should say, and literacy go well together? Well, well, that's a really great question because when I first started, I would have said, this is math class. Don't worry about your spelling. Let's just figure this stuff out. And, and there was no room for literacy because I never saw literacy within my own math classes. And so I was like, well, when I started teaching, I'm like, well, we're not going to read books about math and talk about math and make connections through them. We need to get down to work. We don't have enough time to do this. So for me, I think that the literacy component within the math class is so important because it meets the needs and levels of all learners within the classroom. So you have students who have a love of reading and a love of literature, but they really don't like math. And so that helps make the connection between the two of them. I always found that, I, I mean, I personally liked using picture books, for example, um, in math, well, in any class, really. I, I just really look for an excuse to bring in a picture book. That's how I roll. Um, but building that understanding that, that math is everywhere. So it's not something that's stuck in this math class block um but that we once we start looking for it it true it truly is everywhere absolutely and uh, i'm just gonna lead into this because I, I think this is this is a great book that I, i'd love to start with and i just it doesn't take long to read but i just want to read it to you too and then i'd like you to tell me what do you think the intent and purpose of me reading this book to you guys 
uh, would be. So it's called Seven Blind Mice by Ed Young. And I would read this at the beginning of the year every time um, I taught my junior high classes. So here it goes. One day, seven blind mice were surprised to find a strange something by their pond. What is it? They cried, and they all ran home. On Monday, Red Mouse went first to find out. It's a pillar, he said. No one believed him. On Tuesday, Green Mouse set out. He was the second to go. It's a snake, he said. No, said Yellow Mouse on Wednesday. It's a spear. He was the third in turn. The fourth was Purple Mouse. He went on Thursday. It's a great cliff, he said. Orange Mouse went on Friday, the fifth to go. It's a fan, he cried. I felt it move. The sixth to go was Blue Mouse. He went on Saturday and said, it's nothing but a rope. But the others didn't agree. They began to argue, a snake, a rope, a fan, a cliff. Until on Sunday, White Mouse, the seventh mouse, went to the pond. When she came upon the something, she ran up one side and she ran down the other. She ran across the top and from end to end. Ah, said White Mouse, now I see. The something is as sturdy as a pillar, supple as a snake, wide as a cliff, sharp as a spear, breezy as a fan, stringy as a rope, but all together, the something is an elephant. And when the other mice ran up one side and down the other, across the something from end to end, they agreed. Now they saw too. The mouse moral, knowing in part may make a fine tale, but wisdom comes from seeing the whole. So I'm gonna throw it back at you guys. My question would be, why would I read that to my junior high students before I started the year with them? I better go first, Charlie, because uh, I, I won't have that same math depth that you've got. I, I need the low-hanging fruit here. It's important to understand the sum of the parts. Yeah. Oh, yeah, God. absolutely. Even if that was just a little bit of the answer, I, I'm excited. Okay. Yep. Charlie. Well, I like how each mouse saw something different and they weren't wrong. Right. And so it made me think of like quick draw activities, how once you start asking students how they saw the shape and draw the shape and you hear, you know, a number of different strategies or ways to see that picture, all of them are correct. So all of those mice saw something um, and, and they weren't wrong. Um, and so, you know, why that would be important in a math class, obviously um and or in any class in being able to share their thinking and be open to learning and all of those kinds of things yeah absolutely and it was an open-ended conversation with students and some of the things that they would bring up would be uh, you know building relationships amongst each other and understanding that everybody's voice matters we can have 
um, discourse within our, our classroom. We can have arguments and we can talk about things and we can rebuttal things, but everybody's voice is listened to. And I like your quick draw analogy with that because what happens is, yeah, they all came up with the same answer and they all agreed it was an elephant, but they all approached it in different ways. And, and that's the beauty of, of mathematics, that it is about pulling out strategies and knowing that if you see something a little bit different, but get the same answer, it works out to be the same thing. So yeah, you guys were good. But I used to, I, I read that all every year to my uh, beginning of my junior high classes. And at first, the junior high kids are like, why is she reading? Um, this is a math class. And so once we got into the discussion, it, it really set my tone for the first two weeks. And it brought me back to reference the, the book, The Seven Blind Mice. The other thing I really like about that piece you just modeled to us, Jackie, was the power of the open-ended question. Um, and so when you ask open-ended questions, it just it gives everybody a chance to be successful. And I know Rick was jesting about being the low hanging fruit, but we need to create space so that every student, even if they're not picking up what you're throwing down, could have a successful response. And so there might be a student that says, well, there's seven mice and the number seven is a math thing. And, yeah. and that would could also be correct. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of my work is I work a lot with teachers about the difference between open and closed questions. And so closed questions would be something we're all familiar with. We went through it all through our whole career in math. Teachers stood in the front of the room, um, told us uh, what strategy to use. We practiced and mimicked the strategy that the teacher gave us um, and it worked, but we weren't really sure if the answer was correct or it made sense. And so we talk about, we need closed questions for sure, but we need those open questions to allow all of our learners to participate. And, and that's the big part of differentiation. Um, you know, I get that a lot. Like kids are at different levels within my classroom. What do I do? And, and we have to start doing more open tasks so that we don't have this little package for this group, this little package for this group, this little package for this group. And so those kind of open questions kind of fit in nicely. And so one example, of an open-ended question could be something like this. Uh, create a three-digit number, then using 15 base 10 blocks, what could that number look like? So that's a more open-ended question because the number one, the students get to choose their number. Number two, they have to use 15 base 10 blocks and most kids, then all of a sudden you can really look around the room and you could see the students who are stuck upon a number like 321. Oh, I only have three hundreds, two tens and one one. But then another kid goes, well, I could have 32 tens or 21 ones. And then they start breaking things apart. So an open-ended question gives you some time that you have to think about and it takes a little bit more time than a doing task for sure. So Jackie, I know you've done a number of um, sessions and works with teachers where you talk about mathematizing read-alouds. What are some of your favorite math read-alouds that you um, share with teachers? And I guess my follow-up question would be, do you have 
a common structure that you use when you're using a, a picture book um, as kind of like a jumping off point with your students or um, do you find that you change it up depending on the book or depending on the task? Yeah, that, that's a good question, Charlie. Uh, the first thing I always tell teachers is this is, I, I love this question. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And that's one thing that I lead into a session I do with mathematizing read alouds that at the end, all the teachers always say, I have all these books and I don't think I can use them in math class because they're not math books. They're not text dependent on the math, so I can't use it. And so for them, I ask them the question at the beginning of that. And then I ask again, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And that was very evident for teachers who have a plethora of books within their classrooms, but they don't think that they can use them. So uh, a, a prime example I always tell teachers is start using any of the books that you have within your classrooms and just do a read aloud as a starter or a warm up in the math class. And then ask the question, what's the math in the story? How would it help us learn math? And just to get through the book, an open general type question when you're taking a look at it. And for me, there's three types of, of books that you can use when you're mathematizing or read aloud. The first one is uh, text dependent. And so text dependent means these are ideas cannot be understood without also understanding the math. Hmm. So text dependent, you got to understand the math in order to understand the story. The second one is idea enhancing. So these are books that do not depend on mathematical understanding. And the Chrysanthemum book by uh, Kevin Hankies is one that a lot of the kindergarten grade one teachers use that would fit under idea enhancing. And finally, the last one, which is I think the most popular one is illustration exploring. So this uh, are books that contain pictures, drawings, diagrams that can pull out that, that shape, that space component uh, within our, our curriculums that we're trying to make sense of and making connections to the stories that way. So just in summary, there's text dependent. You kind of have to understand the math to understand the book. Uh, idea enhancing, uh, books that don't uh, depend on that mathematical understanding and that illustration exploring where it has a lot of pictures and diagrams. So uh, if I start off with, uh, I kind of listed my books across the grade levels that I wanted to share, but Chrysanthemum by Kevin Hankies is a good one under idea enhancing because it's all about a book about a little mouse and her name is Chrysanthemum and she goes to school and, and her name is so long. And then she starts not liking her name and wishing her parents never named her that. And it's a great book about, um, about talking about that kind of resiliency, but not only the resiliency, uh, but there's so many great places, especially kindergartens and grade ones, to compare their name to the, the, the length of Chrysanthemum's name. So if my name is Jackie, I can see that I have a lot less letters than chrysanthemum. And then what I get teachers to do is I get them to take unifix cubes and then they write the word chrysanthemum 
on the Unifix cubes with, with a Sharpie, because what you, all you have to do, just teachers, just so you know, if you use a Sharpie, then you use a dry erase pen, uh, pen on the cubes, the Sharpie will come off. So some teachers are like, I don't trust you. So I always bring those cubes, we write out chrysanthemum, then they write their name down underneath, and then they compare uh, how many um, you know letters are in my name compared to my class, and then they can sort. The class could say which uh, names have the most letters, the least amount of letters, which ones have seven letters, which ones have five letters. And so this book is more about her not appreciating her name until the end. But the big thing about it is there's lots of math connections with it because of using her name. And so what I suggest to teachers is just picking up a book and, and putting a, a sticky on the side that's clear. And if you think there's a good question that you want to ask there, put that little sticky on there that's see-through, write the question on there, and pause. Teachers naturally know where to pause in a read aloud. And so in this book, can you count to 13? Can you show me 13? That was one part of the book in here. And then another part was how many pockets do you have? How long does it take to get to your school? And so just making little flags and stopping and putting these kind of components within the read aloud. Um, and then teachers could use it year after year after year. And then the last one would be, how long was Chrysanthemum's name? How long is your name? What's the difference? And so that's kind of that introduction to talking about uh, subtraction. So um, yeah, that would be some ways that I would tell teachers to kind of int um, introduce books. There's no wrong way to do it. If you love reading books to kids and you have some infliction in your voice and you're excited about it, the students are excited as well. And I'm not going to lie, we just had uh, Pi Day, uh, third month, 14th day, boom, boom, all the math teachers around know how exciting that was. So I'm going to I'm going to just jump to that book before you have another question. But this would be more of a junior high book, and it's the Circumference and the Dragon of Pi. And this one here would be definitely a book that doesn't depend on that uh, mathematical understanding. It could fit under idea enhancing, but it could fit under text dependent because if students don't know uh, certain words like radii or circumference, then they need to have some background knowledge of it. So I read this to the students. Uh, I bought those Twizzlers um, that peel, the peel Twizzlers. And then we use the Twizzler strings to figure out how many, um, how many diameters fit around the circumference of a circle. And so students figured out that it didn't matter what size of circle I gave them, they always needed three and a little bit. So they took their diameters, they went one, two, three. Mrs. R, there's just a little bit left. And I said, yeah, so does it matter what the size of the circle is? And they said, no, the circumference can be figured out by that constant ratio of uh, 3.14 times D. So that was a book that we used and the teacher read it, the kids loved it, and everybody has a math name in this book. So this is a, my favorite junior high one. Are, are we allowed to say that uh, the use of the Twizzlers and uh, that did result in them eating the Twizzlers at the end of the activity? I'm not sure if we can fold that into healthy foods, but. Uh... Well, I gave them a fresh set to eat <laughs> because they were touching and rolling and cutting and pinching, um, except I saw a few of them hide some in their pockets. It did not throw them away. So I'm assuming they probably ate them, even though I said you were touching them. <laughs> 
Builds immunity. Yep. <laughs> Builds immunity. Takes me back to a music class where I saw the teacher use Oreos that she gave all the kids and you break the Oreo in half and that's a half note and you break the half in half and that's a quarter note. But she had them working in pairs and then at the end they got to eat the cookies. Well, So two sets of hands were doing all the breaking. <laughs> Maybe wiping a noise or two in the middle. And she said, okay, you can eat the cookies now. And I was like, what? <laughs> so Pre-COVID. That was a pre-COVID activity. Oh, it was friends. a pre-COVID activity. It was an activity I witnessed while still in uh, my district principal roll up in Grand Prairie. It was a great activity. I let the student I was partnered with eat all the cookies. That was so kind of you. I yeah, know. of course. My, my uh, yes. My, my mercy knows no bounds. There you go. I think the beautiful thing that you've talked about, Jackie, is that you could take any text and stretch it and mathematize it. Um, one of my favorite math units that I did with my students uh, when I taught grade two was I, I hyped it up and I was like, we're going to watch a math movie. It's a very important math movie. Um, so much math in this movie, it's going to blow your mind. And so we watched the movie Up hmm. and they had to keep track of all the math they saw in the movie. And so I had one student who just like he went hog wild. Most students were like, I'm going to watch the movie. Thanks for coming out. Um, but he was like, number of dogs, tails, number of dog feet, number of ears, distance traveled, height of the balloons, size of the house, like all of the things he thought of it. And then we proceeded to do a number of different open-ended math tasks that were like, Mr. Fredrickson has 25 balloons. Some are blue, some are red, and some are yellow. Tell me how many of each he might have. Um, but there's no way Pixar pitched that movie as a math movie, but they were in it and excited about it. And we did balloon themed, balloon and distance themed math for a couple of weeks, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and what you, what you've kind of hit upon is, so the first questions I tell teachers to say is what's a math of the story? How will it help us learn math? Just very open-ended. A, a second set of question is the notice and wonder questions. So you can just talk about just saying, what do you notice? What do you wonder? And then you give students stickies, the blue stickies are the noticings, the yellow stickies are the wonderings. And then you put it onto the board. And man, if you're looking for questions or prompts or where to stop in a read aloud, look at the students' wonderings. Because those wonderings can now guide your instruction of where you wanna go from the students' questions as the book was being read. So that's the second phase that I tell teachers to kind of play around with. And the next book I have is called One is a Snail, Ten is a Crab. And this book, I know Charlie's like, oh, I love this book. Um, it's a beautiful book about subitizing and being able to see things in collections. And instead of counting things individually, you'd be able to kind of take a look at it. Like 40 is four crabs. So four tens, because a crab has 10, uh, you know, uh, legs or claws that are all together or you could have 
10 dogs. And so what happens is this book is beautiful and the imagery in this book is great. So this book here would definitely fit for me under illustration exploring. So it contains those pictures, drawings, or diagrams that could pull out the math ideas. And so that's why I really like one is a snail and 10 is a crab. And so that one's kind of a, a, a nice piece that teachers can work with. Well, and you could do so many things like bouncing out of that, right? With Cuisinier rods and have um, them make their own, you know, 10 is a whatever and one is a, right? One yeah. is a worm, 10 is a whatever. I remember we were on the beach um, with my son and we found a crab, but he was missing two, two of his legs. And, um, and his comment was, mommy, that is eight is a crab. I was like, yes, that is, it is a crap. <laughs> well, well, and that's a, that's the beauty that you just talked about, Charlie, the beauty about reading a book to a, to a kid and then him noticing that in this case, yeah, in the book, the crab has 10, but in this case, this one has eight. And so that connections now that your child is taken from home, from you reading it and now bringing it out into the world. And that's the, another big beauty of having these books within classrooms because it allows kids to make connections to their real life. Or if they haven't made those connections, they go seek those after the book has been read. Um, this one uh, by Marilyn Burns is my favorite book called The Greedy Triangle. I absolutely love this book. So after teachers do those first two phases of questioning, then I started saying, okay, pick a book, okay? Um, explore the reading. What are the main ideas that you want to get across from reading this text? So now we get a little bit more specific into it. What are the key concepts that you want to develop through this reading? And then the fourth part that I have is the stopping points. Like, what are some key questions? Put those stickies on there that you're doing this. And then extending the text prompts. So will the students need manipulatives? Will they be writing? Will they be drawing? So instead of maybe a warm up, um, of a read aloud or a starter at the beginning of the class. Now this becomes kind of a, a full blown lesson where you've thought about that, where you take uh, take it apart. And the Greedy Triangle is an amazing book on all the different polygons. And so what happens, the premise of the story is he's a triangle. He's not happy with his life. He goes to the shapeshifter. The shapeshifter goes, poof, I'll give you another angle and I'll give you another side. And then he explores being a quadrilateral. And then he's a pentagon. Then he's a hexagon. Then he's a nonagon. And he keeps going on and on and on until you can predict that he becomes a... He becomes a circle. And then he hates it because he's rolling everywhere. He can't stop and <laughs> talk to his friends. And then in the end, he realized that he was happy as a triangle. And so then at the end, the shapeshifter, poof, changes it back into a triangle that has three sides and three angles. And an extension with this book, if teachers wanted to go further, is they read the book again and they stop where the shapeshifter changes him into a quadrilateral. Then students work on geoboards. Geoboards are little pegboards where they put elastics around. And I get students to create all the non-congruent quadrilaterals that they can think of. 
And so I want to see like, do they just make squares and rectangles and trapezoids? Or do they make, you know, concave uh, quadrilaterals? Are they, are they building up to the different types? And then the students put it on paper, then they cut those pieces of paper out, and then we sort into the different types of quadrilaterals. And so not only uh, if teachers don't have geoboards, there's virtual geoboards. There's Mathagon, which is an amazing site that you can pull geoboards up and students can build those quadrilaterals uh, from the book, The Greedy Triangle, uh, virtually if they do not have that equipment. So yeah, that would be a way that a teacher could extend a lesson uh, from a book that they have. You know, in, in, as I listen to this and I'm thinking, well, there's also inside of physical education, the connection and, and wellness, or as I refer to it, wellness and physical mm -hmm. education, respecting diversity and the uniqueness of each individual and having this conversation and saying, well, see, now the triangle really loved being a triangle, but now has a little bit more understanding of what it's like to be a square, a polygon, a et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and a circle and didn't really like that, but respects it more. Yeah, and I think you just linked back to this book, The Seven Blind Mice, Rick, even without knowing. And, and that goes back to respecting, you know, the diversity and the opinions of other people. And I, I think that kind of comes full circle with that. <laughs> no <laughs> one another no one that comes together? No one else will get that except for you guys. Comes full circle. <laughs> I love a good math pun, I'm not going to lie. Um Puns and alliterative titles. That's where, that's my jam. <laughs> so Jackie, I know you've got some other books to share, but this kind of the veering of our conversation um, makes me think about how important competencies are in the work that you do with teachers. So you've just shared, you know, you've the greedy triangle and we've talked about that connection to some of that character development, which ultimately all of this work is connected into the competency progressions. Um, do you want to speak a little bit about how you highlight the competencies through math and why that's important to you? Yeah, I think a, a big piece when we take a look at, at some of those competencies, the front matter of our, our curriculum used to have something called processes in the previous curriculum. So students have to uh, use mental math and estimation, communication, make connections, and those components, um, that part is not there, but I think it's now in the competencies. And I think that the competencies are so key. You know, we always talk about uh, I can statements or I know or I, um, I'm able to. But I think with the competencies, when we're linking to books, I think I can make a connection with, and that builds into the competency. Uh, I can critically think uh, well, my teacher was reading the greedy triangle because, and so sometimes the how we teach, we need to immerse those competencies into uh, our open tasks, uh, into our read alouds that we're going to be using if we're mathematizing some of the books that we're using. But those, to me, the competencies are the how we teach, our curriculum is the what we teach. We can't have one or the other. We need both of them that blend together to make a well-structured program. 
Okay, so if you want me, I'm going to go on to the next book that I love. I love The Remainder of One. Uh, Remainder of One is a great book, um, and it talks about division. Division is hard to teach. A lot of teachers teach a lot of multiplication, then they teach division, but multiplication and division should be taught together so that kids can see that the connection between the two of them, then they're not two separate entities. So then if I don't know 81 divided by nine, I do know nine times some number is 81. And so being able to build that connection between those numbers gives a little bit of relief to students. And so the remainder of one is such a cute little book. I just love it. It's all about little Joe. And Joe, there's 25 of them in the uh, army. And what happens is they go in front of the queen. And then they go into two rows. And so obviously there's 12 and 12 in each row. And little soldier Joe is the only one that's left out. So then we can stop in the book and talk about what's the quotient? What's the divisor? What's the dividend? And we talk about, we have 25 amps divided by two. And then we build two columns. So we have 12 here, 12 here. We flip little soldier Joe. So if those guys are all red and we flip little soldier Joe and he's white, then he, we recognize that 25 divided by two gives me 12 remainder one. But we can even go further that little soldier Joe is a remainder of uh, one half, actually. So it's going to be 12 and a half because little soldier Joe, we don't cut little soldier Joe in half. He's not parts of a whole. He's actually parts of a set. So little soldier Joe needed another little buddy in order for us to have an even amount so we didn't have anything uh, left over. So little soldier Joe is one out of two soldiers that are left. And then we can kind of bring that fractional thinking into that understanding of what an actual remainder actually means. And then the story goes on and they march and they're in three rows. And little soldier Joe, he's still all by himself. And then they go four rows. And then finally, little soldier Joey goes to bed at night. Like, how can we make this work? How can we make this work? And as kids are listening to the, you read the whole story and you start again and then use double-sided counters and you build the infantry marching and you see where soldier Joe is. And then you talk about all that key math vocabulary, like divisor, dividend, quotient, and understanding what a remainder means. Not just that I have some stuff left over. What does that mean? And so this is a phenomenal book to introduce division. Um, and I, I want to tell people who are listening out there that, you know, I, I'm talking about all these books, but if you don't have these books, you just Google them. Somebody's reading them. And so if you're like, oh, I need to get my hands on that book and this book and this book. No, you know, you don't have to. But if you want to, great. But people are always reading these books and you can have pause points while somebody's reading them online. And by that, you mean reading them on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. Grandpa's reading to their grandchildren. There we go again. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I know you say you don't have to buy the books, Jackie, but I might have already bought some books. <laughs> No, it's I the know. Danger of I, this job. I know. And when I had to choose some books, I was like, oh my goodness, do you just want to see all the books I have down here? And and when I first started, I I, I was like, I taught Zed and I taught math. 
you don't read, you don't read in a math class. Like let's get down to the math. Right. And then when I started reading to students, I couldn't believe how the hoodies came down, uh, the calmness that came into the classroom and just listening to somebody read to you is just, it's just an amazing thing. Even as an adult, if you have someone who's a very charismatic speaker, that's why, you know, Rick, you're talking about your podcasts or listening and driving. And there's certain people that you want to listen to because their voice is calming and soothing and the information you're gaining, you're, you're making a connection to it and you just want to listen to more. So I think that's what kind of changed my um, attitude about using maths with it or using books within the classroom. You're totally right, Jackie. I did a read aloud at one of my teacher convention sessions a few weeks ago, and I only intended to like read the first part. But we were having such a good time, like we're laughing and and I said to the teachers like I'm just going to finish this and one said yeah because we would have been angry if you didn't finish the book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so there's something to be said about this shared experience of a read aloud and how beautiful it can be. And it's okay to experience that and then say, okay, now we're going to come back at this story again and we're going to have our math listening ears. We're going to be tuning into the concepts we talked about yesterday in math. Who can remember what those are, um, right? And those kind of pieces. And so I, I completely agree that it is a tool to create community, build calm. In my case, my read-alouds don't often build a lot of calm. My, my read-alouds tend to like, wire wire up yeah that's probably because i do many voices and other ridiculous things while i'm reading the books um, but nonetheless well, still fun yeah absolutely and, and important to do and i'm thinking particularly uh what was it the greedy triangle if you're reading that aloud and you're the only one with a copy do you uh, build a, a little powerpoint with all the images so the students are seeing the as a the images as it goes along which I, I've done with um, the dot you know by yep. Peter Reynolds so that the kids could see as you're reading along they can see the book certainly you know everybody gather around here we're going to read this book on the on the um, what is it called the blanket the quilt the carpet the carpet I knew there was something. There you go. Way to go. Yeah, I did not have a carpet in my high school English social studies classes, but I think I probably should have. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, gather on the carpet and you've got that one copy of the book and, and you're, you're doing that. But uh, being able to see the images that are, are such a piece now, right, in, in all of these illustrated books uh, to, to help with the learning, but particularly as you're looking at illustration exploring. Mm -hmm. And and going with the illustration exploring, I'll, I'll introduce my next book, 365 Penguins. But the, <laughs> the big thing about illustration exploring is even a document camera. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can put them up, take, you know, you can take screenshots of the pages, but a document camera is beautiful too, because the students can just see the pages turning on the screen. Um, and then they can have some nice, big, vivid examples of what you're talking about. Because sometimes we have some really large class sizes. So um, you can have this read aloud for a whole group instruction. But the other thing too, to be reminded of small group instruction. So in small group instruction, that tier two instruction, you can have a nice little read aloud with students, especially if you might be introducing manipulatives 
or you're getting them to draw or visualize what's happening within the book. And so a big piece um, that you can have with that is not to forget that this doesn't have to be just done with the whole class. It can be done in small group instruction. Um, so that's uh, Adrian Geer does a great book called Reading Power. And she does a section in there on visualization. So that could be another podcast maybe, but I use a lot of her work in the visualization part where kids actually draw pictures. I make them to take their piece of paper and fold it into quarters. And so they have four quadrants and then I read, then I pause and I stop. And as I stop, I get them to draw a picture of everything they've heard and seen within the book so far in the book. And then they draw in the first quadrant. And then the second quadrant, I read the next little phase of it. And they get to visualize it. And I say, I don't care how well you can draw. I want you to just visualize and put those key ideas down on that piece of paper. And at first we just do it with visualizing. And then what we do is we take it and think of it in a math lens. So we just do it as they hear it, what they visualize and they put in the book. And then we do it in a math lens. Now as a math lens, what's the big math ideas you hear? I want you to sketch those ideas within those pieces. 365 penguins, one of my favorites. Yeah, and this is a big, nice, hard book that you have. And, and I love this book. And, and, and even asking questions, basic questions like, what do you think this book is about? Looking at the front and back cover, because it's a beautiful book that has beautiful imagery within it. And, you know, just asking those kind of questions. And on page 23, I have written here, ask students to describe how they're organizing the penguins. Because what happens in this book, um, this uncle sends one penguin every day after New Year's and the kids open up the box and they get one penguin. Then on the second day, they get two penguins. Not a big deal, everything's going well. And then on when you turn to like page 23, there's so many of them. And how are we supposed to like organize them? And so they go from 1 to 12, 13 to 24. Maybe we should go 1 to 10. And it starts becoming chaotic. And there's this is a great book, I would say, for more like grade three and up because you get into some decimals and you get into some larger numbers. And then, you know, it keeps going on and on. And so on December 31st, 365 guests in dinner jackets were in the house, but we had New Year's Eve on the lawn because the penguins took over the whole thing. And so it was, it's just such a great book. And the, the illustrative examples on here is so amazing. And then what's so ironic is at the end, uh, the doorbell rings on January 1st and it goes, I'm number one, please feed me when I'm hungry. And it's a polar bear. <sighs> so the, the kids love the ending to the book and there's so much you can do. And there's so much online. I tell teachers too, Take a book like 365 Penguins, put in your Google search, 365 Penguins uh, math activities, math projects. There's so much that comes up that if you're just like, holy, I don't even know how to start with this book because there's so much math in it. Um, just use the, use the good old Google and find some pieces that you think will intrigue your students. All over the world, math. Yeah. 
Mass through stories, 365 Penguins, Scotland, yep. 365 yep. Penguins, New Zealand, on and on and on, New South mm -hmm. Wales. So yeah, very popular. Yeah, so take the books that you have within your classroom, Google out some ideas, but also use your own intuition, um, you know, when, when you're picking those books with the questions that you want to ask. I only have three more left. Fire away. Yep. Okay. Um, my next book would be great for, remember when we used to solve equations in junior high and high school and your math teacher would say, whatever you do to one side, you have to do to the other side. And you're like, okay, why does that work that way all the time? Okay, I'll just do it the way you're showing me. I don't understand what you're telling me to do. So if I'm adding on this side to get rid of addition, I have to subtract on both sides. Well, how is that working? Well, if kids are getting confused, you introduce the book Equal Schmequal. And this book Equal Schmequal is so amazing, so awesome. It talks about, uh, you know, we have this bear and then he goes in there and then they're on a teeter-totter and they're all trying to balance out. And, and long story short, that we needed all of these creatures on this side to balance out for the one bear. And then students see that you don't need to have a one-to-one -one correspondence on either side. So sometimes you think, if I take off one cube from here, I got to take off one from here, but the bear could weigh this much and I need to make sure I have the same mass on the other side. So it's just an introduction to balance and equality and what the equal sign means. Whenever we're in a math class, we should never have more than one equal sign across the way. We can't go 36 plus 10 minus four. So 36 plus 10 equals 46, then 46 minus four equals 42. That's a big no-no because the equal sign means balance, that the left side has to equal the right side. What I do to the left side will affect what I do to the right side. And so that's really what this book uh, is about. And it's a great introduction into solving equations uh, for grades four all the way up into, into high school. And that one definitely fits under for me that idea enhancing. Uh, the books do not depend on mathematical understanding because it's just animals on a teeter-totter making sense of that. They don't have to understand the math, but you as a teacher build the math connection into the book. That makes me think of um, the hippos go berserk, right? That would be another one of that's idea enhancing as opposed to math dependent, right? Can um, you tell me a little bit more about uh, hippos go berserk? I do not. You do not have it memorized, Jackie? Come on. No, I do not. One hippo all alone calls two hippos on the phone. Three hippos at the door bring along another four. Five hippos uh, show up late. Uh, no. Anyway, so it goes all the way up in counting. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. It's, it's obviously a rhyming children's book. Um, and it goes all the way up and then the hippos have this big party. And then um, dawn comes and the hippos have to leave. And so then we count backwards. Um, so you could pause it and just say, if this is the pattern, where do, where do you think the book is going to go? How many, how many more hippos are going to happen? Um, 
um but then the hippos all have to leave and at the very end um one hippo all alone um misses the other 44 or whatever it is the total number and so you could have them build up and and actually build the number of hippos is the math right um okay. and those kind of, it's a great little picture book that we've read repeatedly nice in my home yeah and and this is the big thing is as as we're going through things we want to bring that love of that literature through and this book here the how many jelly beans this book I absolutely love because I I did this with smaller kids and older kids and so then what I did was Easter time. And since it's coming close to Easter, I know uh, people out there can't see it, but imagine a graph that has little different color of jelly beans on the bottom. And then on the left-hand side, so on your X-axis are the jelly beans. And then on your Y-axis, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. And so I filled um the little eggs you know the little plastic eggs with uh I filled the little plastic eggs with jelly beans and they had to shake them and they shake them and shake them and they had to estimate how many jelly beans would be inside that little egg and so they put their estimate and then they said they put their estimate down and then they counted out their actual and I said they couldn't count by ones they had to maybe group them so that I can see them easily so kids were grouping them in twos and fives and making tens and then after that they built a graph and then they said how many red ones did I have how many yellow ones did I have how many and some didn't even have any green ones and so then they created this kind of graph with their jelly beans kind of a concrete pictograph uh, from using the book and the kids just loved that activity because it totally related to the book that they were working on and so in the end they just talk about uh the 300 and they talk about the uh, how many jelly beans and they keep talking about these jelly beans and, and how they work and they talk about I would want 500 jelly beans that's too many you can't eat 500 jelly beans and then oh yeah in a whole year I could eat a thousand jelly beans what a great pause point because at that point, a thousand, most of the kids go, that's a lot of jelly beans. Okay, well, let's talk about how many days do we have in a year? How many weeks do we have in a year? And then the lesson can go on and on and on. If I stacked up 5,000 jelly beans, they'd be as tall as this building. Now that's a lot of jelly beans. Oh yeah, I could eat 10,000 jelly beans in a year. That's too many jelly beans. It is possible to have too many jelly beans. And then there's a little dog on the side and he says, no. And then you have to admit a hundred thousand jelly beans would be too many jelly beans. And then the little guy says, I can share them with Murphy. And so this one is a pretty cool page when you get to this, but if I had a hundred thousand jelly beans, um, what it does in the book, it shows you there is 5,000 blueberry, 10,000 watermelon. So you can talk about ratios and rates that go along fractional thinking. Um, you can see here that we have 50,000 grapes ones out of 100,000 jelly beans. Is that more than half, less than half? You can pull the benchmarking. And the best part is what about 1 million jelly beans? And at the end of the book, 
you open up the book and it makes like this big, huge poster sized paper of what uh, a million jelly beans could possibly look like. And so the kids just love how it builds up and builds up and builds up. And the math is, is really great. And the how many jelly beans definitely can fit under that text dependent. You have to know a little bit about math. You have to know a little bit of how many days are in a year, how many weeks in a year, um, you know, fractions and ratios. So that one would definitely fit under text dependent. And so how many jelly beans? Great book, uh, again, for uh, upper elementary and junior high. So the last question that I have, my great friend Charlie introduced me to this book and octopuses have zero bones. And uh, it's a counting book about our amazing world. So Charlie, I'm gonna ask you the question because you've read this book and, and you can tell Rick a little bit about what the book is about. But after you do that, where would octopuses have zero bones fit into? Would it be text dependent where you have to know some math? Is it idea enhancing where the books do not depend on mathematical understanding? Or would it fit under illustration exploring contains pictures, drawings, or diagrams that you could use? So tell us a little bit about what the book is about and then tell me which one you think it fits into. One of the reasons I love this book is because often we find counting books that only stick to like div one or like don't crack 20 or whatever. And this book is not that. And so as it counts up, it adds not only um, like you go one, two, three, but then it adds that many zeros or place values to each one. So it's like 10 and then it's 200 and then it's 300 and, or sorry, 3000. And then it, you know, it goes up exponentially. So I think it's, I would say it's idea or sorry, text dependent. You need to know some math to like truly get this book. At the same time, the book is a beautiful vehicle to have conversations about math because then it includes all sorts of like fun facts. We're a fun fact family um, that are related to that particular number on that page. And so it talks about like solar distances, I'm sure is one of them. And like the number of teeth a shark has like random random facts but they're associated with that particular place value amount um so jackie i don't know if you want to pull a sample but yeah you definitely need some math you need some math to but it's such a great book and i mean i read it with my five and eight year old obviously my five-year-old was not picking up all the numbers um but it was a really like the illustrations are beautiful and yeah, I, I know. I love it. I love this part. So it, it goes to the number 10. If we place a zero after the one, it makes the one 10 times bigger. The sound of your breath is 10 decibels. It is one of the softest sounds we can hear. A helicopter sounds 1000 times louder than a falling feather. Each time you go up 10 decibels, the sound becomes twice as loud. So a falling feather is zero. Breathing is 10 decibels. Rainfall is 50. And a helicopter would be 100. So I just like, 
you could spend all year on this book. Totally could. You could take a page a week and just use it as a warm up or starter and just talk about, hey, guys, let's Google. What's a decibel? What does he mean that every time it goes up by, wait, what did he say? Every time it goes up by, uh, each time you go up 10 decibels, the sound becomes twice as loud. Why wouldn't it be 10 times louder? Like, do you want kids to be curious about that? Ask why that's happening. What's going on? And you literally could take one of these pages and have it be a weekly Friday read aloud, mathematizing, read aloud warm up that you could use all year long. It made me think of the math curse, mm. um, which is one of my favorites as well. Old book, but still delightful. Um, and I remember going through with my grade two students, we were reading the math curse and I said, let's do the math. Let's do the math, we'll read the math curse. Totally not correct, connected to the curriculum, but let's be curious about the math that's talked about in this book. And um, being able to take a text like, octopuses have zero bones or the math curse or any of them really and branch into that digging deeper investigation like let's be curious and if curiosity is the prerequisite to being you know like when they say like are you a math person well I'm a person and I do math therefore I'm a math person um if the if the prerequisite or the lifelong skill we want to in in you know, give our students or support in our students is curiosity, then what better way than to use books like this to dig deeper into concepts that are connected to conversations we're having in our class? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think once teachers start, because sometimes teachers are like, well, do you have a lesson plan for this? Do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? Once they see how curious their students become, how students who never say anything start saying something within the classroom because they want to participate of some of the new learnings that they found. It just ignites you to want to do more with it. And, you know, the the big thing is, if I just sum up from today, but the big thing today is just read the book. What's the math in it? How does it help me uh, learn math? That's the first place I start. The second place I just ask that notice and wonder, get the kids to write on stickies. If the kids are younger, they just think about a question that they want to ask about the book that was read. If they're not, you know, being able to write on the stickies. Um, if you don't have the book, go to YouTube. Somebody's reading it. But there's something about getting your hands on these books. And, and more than likely, you have a lot of these books within your classrooms. Just grab one. If you read it in, you know, your ELAL class, um, and then you want to read it in the math classroom and see what students compare and contrast between the math world and then the lesson that you were doing with the students the other way. And so the big thing is I challenge listeners from today listening to the podcast, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So I'm going to pose that question off to you two. Um, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. How does that uh, relate to you after we've kind of done this, wrapping up this podcast? Well, Charlie had the advantage of teaching a little bit of math, a lot of math, actually, in elementary. For myself, it's almost like a fear. Math, math, was, uh, math was not my friend. I can do the math I need to be able to do. Um, but throughout school and stuff, it was more like, ah. And 
here I, I found myself thinking with all my grandchildren and uh, others that I interact with um, immediately. Like I never would have initially perhaps looked at a book that had shapes in it and thought that I was looking at anything that had anything to do with math. And yet shapes is in the curriculum and is math and and I'm really quite good at packing things. So I understand different sizes of shapes and how to get them all into the moving van or, what, or, or whatever it is that I want to do. There's math involved in all of that. Here's the pictures, here's the story. I, I find myself curious to look at, at, at any book now and think, okay, how could this book be used to enhance the ideas? Uh, how much math do I need to know to get the math out of this book and anything that's illustrated? Okay, what's the math in that? I found myself looking over here at um, uh, Ghost by uh, by Jason Reynolds, and it and it has a bunch of math in it around the speed and time that the young man is running as he's becoming more of a runner. Okay, so what's the speed that he's getting to over this hundred meters? What speed does he need to get to? How's the time related to that if he wants to win? It's there. And it, what is it? Uh, seeing it as if for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Yellow Woods, right? Come back here to this book again, but now see it through a different lens. And, and this is where, when we're teaching conceptually, we want to be able to transfer our learning and transfer our understanding and there's plenty of ways to do that. Um, I don't recall any of those ways being used to help me get math uh, before I lost my way in the math world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, it, well, you've nailed it, Rick. I mean, um, I, I've always enjoyed math, um, but I was always the person who asked why like, why does this work? Why, why are we doing the, the, you know, you do the opposite on the other side. Okay, but why? And I would get incredibly frustrated um, because the answer was, well, just do it this way. Um, like, sure, like I can regurgitate procedures like nobody's business, but I, I still want to know why we're doing, why we're doing this thing. Um, so I was that person in class. It was super fun to have as a teacher, student, yeah. Um, but one of the things that I would add to our conversation is, well, we've specifically talked about picture books. You, of course, Rick, have just referenced um, graphic novel, right? This goes to graphic novel or a novel? Just a, just a novel, though there may be a graphic version as well. Okay. Um, poems are also another source mm. of inspiration. Uh, so a coworker of mine um, in Grand Prairie, April Brown, did this super cool unit with her students uh, after reading the Shel Silverstein poem about Band-Aids. And then they use Band-Aids as non-standard units of measurement to measure things throughout their classroom and cover it up area. And I mean, kids love to play with Band-Aids. They're like the miracle cure of all things and so um kind of like up with the balloons right so just whatever your entry point is use that as you're springing off to to have math conversations um and and do things and there's so much space within the curriculum to build those cross-curricular connections when you start to understand what you're looking for 
Um, and so while initially some of those new pieces are um, almost like freeze you in your place, right? Like, oh, I, I haven't taught cycles as a pattern. How is that a pattern or whatever? But then once you start to sit with it for a little while, you're like, oh, right, well, I could read this book and we could have this conversation and I'm gonna extend it with these manipulatives. And I now have built an understanding around how cycle is a pattern. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'll just conclude with this book called uh, The Little Hummingbird. Um, this Little Hummingbird by Ma Michael, Nicole, and Yagulanis. I kind of butchered that, but uh, I love this little book. And this is actually um, a, a book that I uh, came across from working with one of the First Nation schools. And it's, an, it's to the indigenous peoples of East Africa, the South American, Alpilano, and the Northern Pacific Islands. You have done so much for so long. So I'm reading this book as a as a thank you to all those teachers out there who might be listening, um, all those parents, all those grandparents um, that, you know, we're doing the best that we can in the situations that we're in. And I just love this story. Um, and as you hear it, this is my thank you to everybody who brings this literature and this hard work that they're doing in their classrooms. Here's the story of the great forest that caught on fire. The terrible fire raged and burned. All the animals were afraid and fled from their homes. The elephant and the tiger ran. The beaver scurried and the frog leapt away. Above them, the birds flew in panic. The creatures huddled at the edge of the forest and watched, all except for one. Little hummingbird did not abandon the forest. She flew as fast as she could to the stream. She picked up a single drop of water in her beak. Little hummingbird flew back and let the water fall onto the ferocious fire. She dashed to the stream and brought another drop, and she continued back and forth, back and forth. The other animals watched Little Hummingbird, and they were frightened. What can I do, sobbed the rabbit. This fire is hot, and I'm scared. This fire is so big, howled wolf, and I'm so small. I can't do anything about this fire, croaked a frog. My wings will burn, cried owl. Little Hummingbird continued her work. She flew quickly, picking up more water and putting it drop by drop onto the burning forest. Finally, Big Bear said, Little Hummingbird, what are you doing? Little Hummingbird looked at the other animals. She said, I am doing what I can. So that's my, that's my thank you to the teachers who, like, I get emotional about this, but to those hardworking teachers who came out of a pandemic, who's trying to make everything right for the kids that they teach. And I work with these teachers every day and I hear their stories. And I just wanna let you know that you're amazing human beings. And like the little hummingbird looked at the other animal, she said, I'm doing what I can. So thank you.
last night I was listening to a lady speak and she got emotional. She said, I didn't eat, an, I didn't eat enough chocolate because apparently chocolate will <laughs> suppress our emotions. And, and uh, I wanted to try that because lately when I'm speaking, I, I like you, Jackie, get caught up in the emotion of it, uh, presenting the other day and uh, same kind of, you get choked up and you're like, I don't want to do this right here. I, I, I need to be composed. You know, we don't need to be composed. We need to share our story and uh and it resonates with people and i found myself thinking <laughs> thinking about the math how many little drops <laughs> would this hummingbird <laughs> how um, many drops would this hummingbird have to drop to take this fire up actually it's impossible <laughs> <laughs> but uh also found myself thinking here's another math book um well it's not a math book of course but here's another or there's another example that could then transfer over here to leadership and and yeah. the entire starfish story. I can I can't mm -hmm. save all the starfish, but I can save this one. And and uh, you know I really really appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us today. We're really looking forward to this. And and uh, I think any teachers who spend the time listening to this, your time is well spent and well served. As always, with our uh, posting of this podcast we will include a web page that has the listing of all the book titles and some of the key notes uh, that uh, will go with it and, and uh, you are absolutely right it takes uh, one second to find three or four readings of the little hummingbird and many of the others that you have, have shared with us today and all of it is for one good reason not stars or medals for us or you for sharing but for the learning uh, adventure of the little ones and young ones and junior and senior high ones that uh, we have the blessing of trying to support in their learning journey. So my uh, thanks to you and uh, Charlie, any, any thoughts for yourself? No, thank you so much, Jackie. We truly appreciate um, the, the wisdom that you share with us and the the gifts that you give working alongside the teachers. So uh, thank you for modeling um, just wonderful human beingness for us. We, we appreciate you, friend. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care, everybody, and go grab a piece of pie. <laughs>